Hello, everybody. We're back with another episode, and we're going to be breaking down this weekend's NFL Super Wild Card Weekend. And COVID be damned, we did what we could do, and we got a couple of guests on the show this week. Going to give their breakdowns and picks for Super Wild Card Weekend. Should be fun. But before we get to that, we're going to break down the state of affairs that is the Detroit Lions. <laughs> Buckle up. Let's do it. Yes. <laughs> I'm Mikey Wilson, and this is DWMOD. Yeah. Michael Jordan is a baby and a liar. Down. Hut. 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 Isaiah Thomas deserved to be on the dream team, and Jordan kept him off it. Ready? Aw, Lions fans drinking that Kool-Aid Super Bowl. Hey, disagree with me or don't. That's how it works. Hut, hut. Quinn and Patricia are in job-saving mode. They're going to get fired this year for it, and we're screwed. Again. Down. Now, Jim Harbaugh is supposed to be the quarterback whisperer. He can't develop any of the four- and five-star guys he's brought in. I don't get it. Hut. They're not going to put sweet Lou Whitaker in the Hall of Fame. Please. Baseball writers of America, what a bunch of old white assholes. Ready? The greatest professional wrestler ever. The macho man, Randy Savage, yeah, cause the cream of the crop will always rise to the top, yeah. Hey, disagree with me or don't, that's how it works. DWMOD Podcast, guys, brought to you by Old English 800 Malt Liquor. Put a little splash of OJ and have yourself a brass monkey, the official drink of the DWMOD podcast. And if you're having one of those without a bag of better made chips, a Detroit staple, the greatest potato chip in the country, well, you're a fool. Get some. They're so damn good. That's on my goal, a short list for 2021, guys, to be the official spokesperson for better made chips. We got a great show for you today, guys. We're going to have a lot of fun making our picks and predictions with a fast breakdown for all the games and wildcard weekend in the NFL this weekend. And we got two guest pickers on the show this week. So big thanks to my man, Anthony Vanelli for coming back on the show. Y'all might remember him from episode two. We came on the show to talk about his self-produced documentary about one of the biggest rivalries in high school football in the country, the Akron Holy War, which featured him playing against LeBron James in high school. That's right. He has some great stories. If you like football and you like uh, rivalries as much as I do, you will enjoy the hell out of that. Check it out. It's on Amazon. But Anthony's been killing it, man, and it's well-deserved. He's one of the nicest guys you ever meet. Really is a genuine dude. You could tell if you listen to that episode. And uh, his show, The Next Steps, that he was the writer of, star of, is also on Amazon Prime. Check that out. And he's been in all kinds of stuff, man. You've probably seen him on TV. You don't even know it. SWAT, NCIS, Hand of God, all these shows. He's a Cleveland guy, so he's a big Browns fan, too. Going to be fun. Much like our other guest panelists this week making picks, Andy St. Clair. I'm telling you what, this is a dude that knows his sports. I mean, he'll get deep into the front office with you and know who's on what contracts, and there's nobody better to sit down and talk sports with than Andy St. Clair. Guy knows his stuff. He's a huge fan. Great dude. He's produced and written a lot of shows I'm sure you watched and loved. Uh, the Kids Are All Right, Dr. Ken, The Big Show. Tacoma FD, and he was also part of a great indie comedy called Bootstrap. Uh, his wife, Danielle, wrote it. Check that out. Also has Sam Richardson and Mary Beth Monroe in it. So check that out. Please do yourself a favor. Andy recorded the very first episode of DWMOD with me, and man, like Nostradamus, did he drop a gem 
about the Detroit Lions coaching hire literally after it happened. Before the guy coached one game, and he laid it all out there, and he nailed it. Here's a clip of him talking about that very choice to hire Matt Patricia. When is Patricia getting fired? In like two years? Because I'm just convince me that that guy's a good coach. Uh, I'm saying that guy is like maybe it's three years, five years till he's fired and we have a losing record. I'm, I'm saying he's like after three, he's gone. Three I, I just don't think he's going to be a very good coach. They hired the guy who was the coordinator of that team's worst I, quality. I can't argue with it. It's never been like this Pat's defense is getting them to the Super Bowl. It's been like yeah. Brady had thrown 505 yards. And like seven yeah. touchdowns, yeah. And, and then lose. and the Lions are somehow celebrating that they got this garbage defensive coordinator. I cannot argue with you. Uh, disagree with me or don't? I'm gonna agree with you on that one. Right yeah, now. I've never even thought about it like it's that. It's never. I just don't no. understand why Lions fans are like interested in this coach. Yeah. I would be furious yeah. if I was a Lions fan. No, you, that's a good point. You know, and and so I don't understand why why that that Patricia is supposed to be good. I'm 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 kind of out on Patricia. That's a fair point. I mean, he nailed it. I never even thought about that aspect of it until he brought it up right on the show that day. And I was like, damn, if he didn't nail it. I couldn't even argue with him. I'm like, shit, you're right. This is going to suck. But like a typical Lions fan, I was drinking the Kool-Aid. We had Quinn coming in from New England. He brought in another New England guy, Matt Patricia. And they're going to do the New England thing to us and we're going to be the Patriots. Come on, man. Shoot. This is the Detroit Lions. That kind of shit ain't going to happen like that. It ain't going to happen overnight like that. And then where did it lead us? It led us to where we always wind up when they bring in these guys. We always wind up in the same spot where they tell us to be patient. This is going to take some time to rebuild, but they're not really rebuilding. They've kept all the pieces they have, and they just try to plug holes in a dam. They blow the draft through that very process, trying to just plug holes in a dam. And then finally, they know their backs are up against the wall, and they start scrambling to just win enough games to not get fired. Not try to be good, just try to stay alive. And that keeps us in a position where we suck because they spent the whole draft just trying to plug holes instead of trying to pick players that they could build around. And that's how I felt this year before the draft because it was happening. And and I gave the draft preview, and that's when I said this. And Martha Ford should not have given those guys the ultimatum this year because we are in the position we've been in as Lions fans forever now this year. We are going to fight and struggle to spend a little bit of money to win six or seven games so that we can all keep our jobs. And let me tell you how the history of that's gone for the Detroit Lions. You never win your six or seven. You wind up winning your three or four. We're back at the top of the draft next year. We stunk and you're fired and we're looking at new coaches again, a new GM again. This is what we're looking at. And here we are. Here we are looking for a new coach and a GM already. And I'm not as stunned at Patricia being not a good head coach as I am with Quinn in the front office. I mean, this guy did well in New England, putting together some players in the draft, especially late in the draft and stuff. And and this the ultimate demise for both these guys has been our drafting. I mean, let's take a look at it because we wasted three drafts. We wasted three drafts under these clowns completely with one exception. One exception, Frank Ragnow. Frank Ragnow's been great. That guy will go to another team and probably be an all-pro, which is why I was slightly optimistic because in their first draft he comes in and relatively high in the draft, he, he takes an offensive lineman and a good one. And I'm like, that ain't, that ain't what we do here. We didn't draft a tight end or a wide receiver or some kind of flashy, you know. That's what we normally do. When he drafted Ragnow, I went, wow, 
Okay, this guy gets it. He's from Bill Belichick's tree. He gets it. It's going to be offensive and defensive linemen. That's how you're going to win. I'm all in. And then then they took on Johnson, which I, you know, got. I said it before on the show. I thought at the time the guy's a little injury prone, but you know, uh, okay, I'm fine with taking a running back right there after you took the lineman. And then we took Tracy Walker, a safety. Okay. Then we took Deshaun Hand, who had three sacks in in 2018 no sacks in 2019, and struggled this year as well. So nothing panned out there on the defensive line with Deshaun Hand, you know. And then we ended the draft by picking a fullback late in the seventh round. Okay, so the rest of the draft kind of baffled me there, but I thought, all right. Then we went into 19. Here we go, right back to Lions, Lions, Lions. In the first round, we're going to take a tight end. We're going to take TJ Hawkinson. Uh, Look, I like TJ Hawkinson. He plays all downs. He's a pretty decent blocker. He's a good tight end. I like the kid. First-round draft pick on a tight end with the team we had right there? No. Sorry. No. And then the the second pick in the draft that year, we take the linebacker, Tave, Jelani Tave out of Hawaii. And listen, again, this kid might be a decent player, but nobody had this kid as a second-round draft pick. So it's, it's not that they picked a terrible player here. It's just they picked a guy that could have gotten the fourth round. And you circumvented getting a guy that can help your team right now. This is like, reminded me, as soon as they made this pick, I was scratching my head and I felt like it was Matt Millen picking Jordan Dizon all over again. You know, Tavai's better than Dizon, I'm just saying. Uh, And then they picked another safety, Harris. Okay, then they picked another defensive lineman, Bryant. Uh, He played four games, then he was injured. Came back this year, played a tiny bit. But again, a bust on the D-line there. And then with the fifth round, they took a DB. Sixth round, they took a B, uh, another DB. And we had two picks in the sixth round. And they took another running back. They took another running back, Johnson, Maryland. Do you even remember this guy? I mean, and then in the seventh round, we took another tight end. You just drafted one in the first round. And in the seventh, you took another tight end. And you signed Jesse James. I mean, we had another pick in the seventh round, and they took another defensive tackle, and we cut that guy. I don't even know who he is. We cut that guy. But as a seventh-round pick, you get cut. Uh, I mean, that might be a thing. But you see, none of these guys here are panned out, and, and, and it's a trend here. What is with all the running backs and tight ends? Running backs and tight ends all over the board. That, that's what we're taking all over the place. It, it's clear to me this guy's just trying to be Belichick. I'm going to have a stable of running backs and tight ends. And then it carried right over into 2020 in the first round. We're going we're gonna to spend that number three pick on Jeff Okuda. Listen, I've heard it all. Okuda's going to be an all-pro. This guy's going to be one of the best corners in the league. That's fine. When you suck, that's not how you start rebuilding. You don't start rebuilding by spending your draft pick on a guy who plays in the secondary. And when you suck like we suck, he's going to be doing nothing but making tackles the whole second half because every team's running the ball on us because they're already up on us. I mean, how do you turn your team around like that? Why would we take him? And then in the second round, guess what? We're going to take another running back. We're going to take Swift. And you might think, oh, Swift is going to be good. He might be good next year. And he might, okay, all these running backs that we've taken, and we're going to take another one in a minute here. In the third round, we're going to take a linebacker, which is fine because that's what we need. We could use some linebackers, some defensive help. And and then we take Aquara, and he's been benched. This guy's bench, third-round draft pick bench. He don't play. And then we got another pick in the third round. And we, we took a guard, 
offensive guard who wound up being a starter for us. Jackson wound up being a starter for us. So, again, an offensive line pick that kind of worked out. He's a starter for us. In the fourth round, we pick another guard, offensive guard. He winds up being a backup. But here we are now starting to try to add some pieces to the offensive line. And then what do we do in the very next round again in the fifth round? We take another running back. We draft another running back, Huntley. Where's this guy? What are we doing? You know, then in the fifth, we take uh, Cephas, another wide receiver, because we need some more wide receivers and tight ends on this team, I guess. And then in the sixth round, we take another defensive tackle, uh, Penasini. He's a backup. Seventh round, another defensive tackle out of OSU. Uh, He's out injured. He's a backup at best in this league anyway. So, I mean, what are we doing there? Why are we at that looks like a draft of a team that's loaded and they're drafting for depth. That's what those drafts look like to me. They look like we're loaded. We've got guys at these positions. We're drafting for depth. We're looking for good, solid second-string guys here. That's what that draft looked like. It's terrible. Patricia and Quinn drafted as if they were back in New England, uh, drafting for depth. You know, And it's not fair to a lot of these guys. A lot of these guys could have had great careers in the NFL as backups. A lot of guys do. You know, But then when you're forced to play every down, you get exposed a little bit, and now you're cut and you're out of the league. You know, a lot of these guys might have been able to hang around for a long time being a a really solid backup. It's not fair to these guys either. I'm telling you, the 40 years I've been watching Lions football, it's been a death sentence to get drafted by this team. Now, the fast breakdown on those three drafts right there, not to bore you to death, but the fast breakdown on that is 24 picks over three years. We drafted three offensive linemen. Two of them are good. One really good. Ragnar really good. Two of them are good. Okay. And one of them's a backup. But the problem with that is you're drafting all these weapons for your multi-million dollar quarterback, Matt Stafford, who's fantastic. He's great. And 24 picks over three years and you only drafted three linemen? I got news for you. More linemen play than anybody else in this league. You got to start five of them every game. You drafted three. Our line sucked coming into your reign as the head coach here. And 24 picks over three years, you drafted three linemen. And we never visit that again. Not to mention in this last draft you took Okuda, uh, there was a ton of offensive tackles that were fantastic you could have went and got. But anyway, let's keep rolling by position. 24 picks over three years. You took five DBs. Our secondary blows. You drafted five DBs and our secondary blows. Guess what? You drafted five running backs. Five running backs. Two of those DBs are starters. Two of them ride the bench and one's gone. You got all those running backs. You spent high draft capital on two of them, first, second rounders, bottom of the second, top of the second round, you know, basically first rounders on two of them. And what'd you have to do after that? You had to bring in an aging Adrian Peterson to handle the load of the running this year, and he handled most of it because none of these guys are good enough to be better than an aging Adrian Peterson. Well done on drafting five running backs out of 24 picks in three years. Then on, then the rest of them defensive linemen. Five defensive linemen, no starters. One split in time, one got cut, one's a backup, one was on the physically unable to perform list for two years, and he's back on the pup now. I mean, you drafted one, one legit player out of 24. One, Frank Ragnow. I'm not knocking Hawkinson, he's okay, he's decent, but one legit player out of 24 draft picks. And we all saw what Akuda did this year. And I'm not trying to dog on the guy. He's going to pull one of those things where the Lions drafted me. I'll bide my time here for three years. I'll get the hell out of here. I'll go somewhere else, and I'll be a star in the secondary maybe. 
But that's not the point here. The point is not that they missed on Okuda. The point is that's not a guy you're trying to take as you're trying to get your team better now. You are in a fall down and rebuild. You don't draft a corner right away what, so he can stand around and make tackles when you're losing in the second half. It, it baffled me. And, yeah, I keep bringing up that point that he's going to be doing nothing but tackling guys because in one game this season, he was our leading tackler. Our first-round draft pick, injured a lot of the time this year, was our leading tackler in one of our games. So that's proof in the pudding right there. I mean, we set an NFL record this year when we lost four straight games after having double-digit leads. 11 straight losses. 11 straight losses dating back to last year. Four straight losses after double-digit leads. That's ridiculous, man. They absolutely wasted all the draft capital we built. We built up 24 picks over three years, and they wasted them all with the exception of Ragnow. So where does that leave us? Where does that leave us now in the search? And let's start with GM. Now, we've met with a bunch of guys, so let's run them down. Starting with Kyle O'Brien, the Detroit Lions vice president of player personnel. I think they're being polite giving him uh, an interview here because I'm going to tell you this. No fucking way. We cannot hire from within. That's it. That's done. It's over. He's got to go. This guy was number two to Quinn. His fingerprints are all over everything I just talked about. Uh, You cannot sell that to the Lion fans right now. If you are seriously trying to be serious now, Ford family, this, this cannot happen. This cannot happen. Goodbye. Thank you for the interview. Here's a handshake. Matter of fact, you're fired. The next guy is Terry Fontenot. Uh, He's the vice president, assistant general manager, pro personnel for the New Orleans Saints. Okay, um, this is a good, I mean, this sounds flashy. This sounds flashy. Saints are good. They're good every year. But there's one thing that concerns me about this guy, and that's the way the Saints have gone about their business in this current NFL. And let me explain. They've got an aging quarterback, and they have not groomed anyone else to take over that position. Now, you can try and tell me about Tyson Hill, but that was not a guy they drafted to take over at quarterback when Drew Brees retires. It just wasn't. They drafted him because he's a phenomenal athlete. Everybody on that team says he's just about the best athlete on that team. Pound for pound, he probably is. But they did not draft him with the concept of him stepping in and taking over for Breeze. And that concerns me because I don't think they understand what the formula for chasing a Super Bowl in the current NFL is. I think they accidentally landed on Tyson Hill, and now there's the trend in the NFL, and I'm calling it a trend. Because I don't think it's a roadmap to a Super Bowl. This is the current trend of all these running quarterbacks, okay? These guys that are runners that can throw the football. Now, there's a big difference between a guy like that and a guy like Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson is a passer who can run. Russell Wilson is a guy that can create a play looking to throw the ball. When you talk about guys that create, Okay, you're talking about Patrick Mahomes. This is a guy who can run, who can scramble, runs around and makes plays. But while he's running and making a play, he's looking to pass the ball. That's why he's so dangerous and effective. These guys like Tyson Hill and Lamar Jackson, they're fun as hell to watch. And they're electric. But make no mistakes about it. When they're looking to make a play, they're looking to take off and run. And I just, it's a trend right now. It's fun to watch, but I don't think it's something that is going to uh, set the NFL on this arc of this is the roadmap to a Super Bowl right now. 
The roadmap to a Super Bowl right now in the NFL is get yourself a good, young, passing quarterback on a rookie deal. Build around him, get to the Super Bowl and win it before you have to pay him after five years. And the track record is there. The Rams have done it with Jared Goff, got to a Super Bowl with that recipe, built around, paid Aaron Donald, paid a bunch of other guys. You got that rookie quarterback who's very good in the pocket and doesn't make a lot of money. So you can spend the money elsewhere. Okay, Uh, Patrick Mahomes, same exact thing. So anyway, uh, to me, that's the recipe for chasing down a Super Bowl and a rebuild in this current NFL. And that's what the Lions should be looking for, someone who understands that. And I don't think Fontenot does uh, because he just comes from a place where they haven't bothered to try and get somebody to step in for Drew Brees yet. They're going to jump on this trend with Tyson Hill, and it kind of fell in their lap. They weren't looking to do that. The NFL's trending in that direction now, so that's why they're doing it. You know, teams that really understand this kind of thing, Green Bay Packers, aging Brett Favre. They draft Aaron Rodgers, bring him along slowly for a couple years. He steps in. Now he's the man. He is playing really well, but he's aging. So what do they do? They go out and draft a young guy that he can bring along that can then step in for him. This is the type of mindset the Lions need to have. This is the type of guy they need to be looking for. And Fontenot strikes me as a guy who feels there's a different way to do it. And to me, I'm not saying it's the wrong way, but I'm saying it's a way I'm not interested in. The next guy they interview is Thomas Dimitrov. Uh, He's the former Atlanta Falcons GM. Now, this is a guy that's a little more intriguing to me. Uh, This is a guy who, he built some really good teams down in Atlanta. I mean, he really did. A lot of talent on both sides of the ball, some really big draft steals, especially on defense, pass rush, linebacker play. Uh, This guy put together some really good teams down there. His biggest downfall, inability to select a head coach. I mean, head coaching problems and turnover down there have been crazy. Falcons should have won a Super Bowl. I mean, come on, they imploded against the Patriots. This is a guy that could have put a Super Bowl team together. He should have a ring. I mean, they blew it on the field. He's put together some good teams. I think he understands how to win in the NFL right now, running the football, okay, running the football, protecting your quarterback, and it didn't hurt that he's got Julio Jones. I mean, Julio Jones. But, hey, he drafted him. He drafted him to put him with Matt Ryan, protected Matt Ryan with a decent offensive line, had some pretty good running backs coming through there. I mean, this guy understands how to win. On the defensive side of the football, it's about getting after the quarterback, some good linebacker play. This is a guy that intrigues me. But like I said, he makes me very, very nervous about head coaching selections. So if this is something where they're going to pick him to run the team, but then they're going to pick a head coach without his input, that may be something I'm in for. But that itself gets tricky because you got to make sure that these guys gel. So I don't know. That's a little bit of a blinking yellow light on me right there. I'm not sure. But this guy's intriguing. I wouldn't rule him out. The next guy on the list was Rick Smith. Now, he's a former Houston, Texas general manager. This is a guy I like. I like this guy. He was the Texans general manager from 2006 to 2017. And I'm telling you what, he put together some pretty good Texans teams there. Um, His biggest goof, we all remember, was Brock Osweiler. I mean, he brought Brock Brock Osweiler in, uh, gave him four-year, $72 million deal. Less than a year later, he's trading him to the Browns. And in order for the Browns to eat a bunch of that Osweiler salary, they got a second-round pick from the Texans, and that second-round pick wound up being Nick Chubb. Uh, Texans could have used that pick. But on the other hand, I mean, he's a guy that he drafted J.J. Watt. He drafted DeAndre Hopkins. He drafted Dwayne Brown. He drafted Deshaun Watson. I mean, this is a guy that has a history of knowing how to draft and drafting good players, okay? 
22 of his draft picks from 2006 to 2013 played in more than 100 NFL games. And really quickly, uh, Watson's going to be there. Jadavian Clowney's going to be there. And Zach Cunningham's probably also going to be there as well. Uh, This guy drafts well. I mean, I just read you the Lions uh, 24 draft picks over three years, and I'm not sure anybody of them other than Ragnow is going to play in 100 games. You know, this guy has 22 of them. So he knows how to draft players. He knows how to put a team together. Uh, The only knock against this guy, other than the Osweiler thing, but he corrected that quickly, the only knock against this guy is everybody's concerned the way that him and Bill O'Brien butted heads, and he's kind of got a rep of a guy that's not easy to get along with. But now we see that Bill O'Brien was a boob. They put him in charge, and he, he couldn't get along with his top receiver and traded him away. I mean, so I, I'm not going to hold it against him that he and Bill O'Brien didn't get along. Uh, this is a guy I like. This is a guy I like. I like guys that know how to draft and step back and let the coach coach. And whether he had differences with O'Brien or not, he did do that. He let O'Brien coach. He didn't put his fingers in what was going on on the field. And that I like. This is a guy that's probably top of my list. I think he'd be a good fit. The next guy that is on the list is uh, Scott Pioli. Now, this is a guy that has a long history in the league. Uh, I think he was the NFL's uh, executive of the decade from 2000 to 2010. Uh, That's high praise, but that came while he was uh, running the New England Patriots. And, I mean, look, that's a dynasty. That's a dynasty right there. So, yeah. He's responsible for putting a lot of that together, but I think a lot of that lands on Bill Belichick and Tom Brady and just the perfect storm of everything coming together. I'm not taking anything away from him. He put the team together, but let's just keep it in perspective. He was also assistant general manager in Atlanta after that from 2014 to 2019, and we know they put together a Super Bowl run, and I already said they put together a really good team there in Atlanta. So this is a guy who knows how to build a team. This is a guy that's been around a long time, has a long resume, has done pretty well in the league, and this is typical Lions right here. This is the safe pick. This is the safe pick, and I'm not going to be shocked if they make it. I'm not interested in this because there's a little more to the story. Now, in New England, they put together that really good run uh, from 2000 to 2010, but it wasn't like he was the GM. And we know that Bill Belichick was the mastermind. Really, Bill Belichick puts his fingers in that draft hard. I mean, so we know a lot of that comes from Bill. When he did get to be in charge of the draft, when he got to Kansas City, he didn't draft too well. He didn't draft too well. He did okay in the first round, which we can't even do in Detroit, so that would be an upgrade. But he didn't do very well in the draft, which led to him getting fired. Did a pretty good job in Atlanta after that, but again, he was, uh, you know, what are they, co-GMs or assistant G- general manager, whatever they were doing there. I don't know that it was solely him. So the two times his hand is in the pot and other people are kind of calling the shots, he's done really well. The one time it was all put on him, he didn't do very well. So, I don't know. This just seems to be one of those old NFL regurgitations, you know? He's a guy who's got a resume, and it's like, oh, what's your experience? What's your resume? And if it's long, they want to hire you. I don't understand that, you know? I'm out on this guy. And the last guy is is Lewis Riddick. We all know Lewis from watching ESPN. And I like Lewis, man. I really like him. And... You know, a lot of people feel like this is kind of a the flashy choice, but I think Lewis knows his shit, man. 
you watch him talk on them shows and you really get an inside window to what this guy feels, how this guy thinks. And this guy understands the formula I was talking about before. He understands that formula of getting that quarterback young, keeping him on that, that rookie deal for five years, building around him, spend around him, get to the Super Bowl. Uh, he understands that. Lewis Riddick is a guy that I really like for the job. And for me, I really like a guy who's played in a league before. Now, I'm not saying you had to have played in the league to be a GM. You don't. But there's something to be said for a guy that's been in the locker room for a lot of years and the way he's going to be able to put an eye on a guy and see. I mean, sometimes you just get a feel about guys, and someone who's been in a locker room for a long time has a better briefcase full of experience on picking guys to keep, picking guys to cut loose, picking guys in the draft even. This is a guy who has a really good eye test, I think. He understands what it takes in a league. He understands how a locker room should gel. These are all things that he gets from experience, and I like that. I like that a lot. And he's a defensive guy. He's a defensive guy. And that leads me to where I think they should make the hire at head coach. I don't even think they need to do a ton of interviews. We are not getting Eric Bianami from Kansas City. That is not happening. Let that go. If he does anything, it's going to be the Houston job where he'll probably just stay put right in Kansas City as the highest paid offensive coordinator in the league and trying to rack up a bunch of Super Bowl rings and eventually try to take over for Andy Reid. I mean, that's a possibility. Forget about it, Lions fans. You ain't getting Eric Bieniemy. I think you ought to hire the hometown kid from Dearborn. He's a great defensive coordinator out in San Francisco. Salah or Salah. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm from Detroit, okay? And in the Dearborn area, a lot of people pronounce it Salah. A lot of people pronounce it Salah. Soleil. It, there's a lot of different ways people say it. I hear it all the way different on the TV every other time. I think he pronounces it Soleil, as far as I know. Anyway, kids from Dearborn, and, uh, you know, it doesn't hurt that he's a Chippewa. He used to coach at Central Michigan University, but that's not, that's not the whole reason here. Um, he's a guy that grew up a Lions fan. He understands what we've been through. He understands what needs to change about this team. He's not coming in like all these other coaches that have come in in the past with their own ideas of how I think I can shape this team, and they don't even apply what's going on here, what's been going on here, what's the culture been here, what do I need to change here. No, they just come in with, well, here's how I want to do business, and the way I want to do business is the way that we're going to win. And that's not how it works. You know, I think we've only had in my lifetime one other coach that came in and really understood that the culture needed to change and drilled home a change in culture, and that was Schwartz. I liked Schwartz a lot. I mean, that, that Schwartz team in 2013, that was our Super Bowl team. It really was. And that brings me to the point of why I like to pair Riddick with Soleil. I like to pair these guys together because when Schwartz coached the team, that was the one time I remember the owners in the front office kind of backing off and letting the focus be defense. The focus was on the defense, and that defense was bad as hell. Number three all-time in the history of the league against the rush. That defense was fun and tough, and that's what changed the culture for the Lions then. Schwartz understood it. We need to change the culture back to like that old Spielman 91 team where we were black and blue. That was the black and blue division, and the Lions were right at the top of punishing people defensively back then. Yeah, we had Barry Sanders, and our offense was pretty good, but that defense back then set the tone, and Schwartz understood that. They set the tone and changed the culture here, but then the front office and the ownership got back involved, 
And this pushback to offense happened. And they want to let guys like Sue walk. And they want to hand a ton of money to a guy like Calvin Johnson, who's great, one of the greatest talents that's ever caught a football. But you don't give that much money to a guy who touches a ball eight times a game. My point, they pushed it back to offense. They pushed it back to offense. And where are we? We're right back in the same old culture. I like Lewis. Put him with Soleil. Let that guy come in and get your hands off the wheel ownership and let these guys do their thing and let this team become defensive-minded and focused. Get yourself a quarterback, young, rookie deal, young guy. Don't pay him a bunch of money. Guy that can play, which it's not that easy to do, I understand, and they're not growing on trees. But go that route and let the defense handle it. Look what this guy's done in San Francisco. Jimmy G ain't that great. You've all had the conversations about Jimmy G. Everybody says he's the problem why they're not winning out there. That defense in San Francisco is legit, and you can have a guy just as good as Jimmy G, and you can get to the Super Bowl. It's all about defense with these guys, and that is what we need to do. And not because I love defense and I play defense and blah, 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 blah. I'm saying defense needs to be the focus because we need to change the culture. And the only way to change the culture around here is to get some fucking swag and to get some badass dudes back in the door. And when we line up on Sunday, other teams know we're going to punch you right in the mouth because that's Detroit. That's what we should be embracing. This is the town of the bad boys. Okay, this is the town of the Bruise Brothers, Joey Kosher and Bob Probert. This is the town, Hockey Town Stanley Cups won, and the and the fam- most famous players on that damn team was the Grind Line. Guys like McCarty that kicked the shit out of, of Lemieux. This is what Detroit is. And the Lions have always fought against that and want to be this offensive prima donna. Why do we have an indoor stadium? Why are we playing indoors in Detroit? I mean... I get it maybe up in Minnesota in our division. Minnesota's got to do it just because there's just too much damn snow up there maybe. But in Detroit, why are we playing indoors? Look at what the Bears do. Look at what the Packers do. You force teams to come up and play in your element, and you get a badass bunch of tough guys that can play in that element, and you're winning games late in the season because nobody wants to come play in that. What do we do? Build a dome. Dome out in Pontiac. What do we do? Build a field right downtown, enclosed. We're playing indoors. Why are we playing indoors? It's all part of the problem, which is what I'm trying to get at. We need to go defense. We need to go defense to change the concept of this team and change the culture to something that represents the city. And who better than a homegrown kid who's seen it his whole life, and it's his dream job probably. Go get him, man. Go get him. Give him a chance. Let him take this thing. And thank God Chris Spielman's involved. That makes me feel better. Chris Spielman being in the room for all the interviews. Chris Spielman being a direct assistant to the process. Being present at every single decision, discussion that's going on with the hiring of both these positions. Thank God he's involved because he's a guy that has an eye on those things I was just talking about. Toughness, culture, defense, guys that want to play, guys that care. Thank God Chris Spielman's involved. One of my favorite Lions ever. And it's cool that Barry Sanders is involved, but to me that's more of figurehead fan appeal you know that he's going to be there I, I don't i don't really know what he's bringing to the table or what his role is but that's cool it's good to see barry back involved with the team you know maybe there's some mending here after he walked on us and you know some people were upset by that so that's great but thank god chris spielman's involved now first order of business first and foremost when these guys take over the team you have got to trade Matt Stafford. This has needed to be done for a couple of years, and they kept selling us on the idea that we can't do that, we can't do that, we can't take the cap hit, and why? Why can't we? What did we do with that cap money? Nothing. 
take the damn cap hit. Well, then he'll be gone and we're paying him and he's not here. What's the difference? You win four games if you do that. You win four games if he stays. You could have acquired some draft capital. And, and I laid it out last year when they were trying to spin it and tell us there's no way you can trade him. There's, he's just untradeable because of his contract and blah, blah, blah. And I understand there were some number problems, but I laid it out last year. You could approach the Colts. You could approach the Colts. They had like $86 million in free cap space, okay? They had a plethora of draft picks that they had acquired. I think they had like 15, 16 picks in the last draft, okay? And then they then they, they spent $24 million on Phillip Rivers. You don't think they would have traded you uh, some picks to have Matthew Stafford at $27 million and then they'd be making a Super Bowl run this year? Yeah, it could have got done. We would have had to eat some money, but it could have got done. But anyway, love Matt Stafford to death. He's not the problem. He's been the greatest next to Barry Sanders lion that I've probably seen, you know. But for him, please, please trade the man while he still can make a Super Bowl run because he's a Super Bowl quarterback. He is a Super Bowl quarterback, and you got to trade him now. And the fact that you hadn't traded him until now, you've already heard his value. I mean, everybody knows we got to try to get rid of him now, so we're not going to get what we could have got before. But you have to move Matt Stafford before this draft. He just played his last game as a lion. We tweeted it out from the show. We think that's the case. You have to trade him first order of business. I love you, Matt. Go win a Super Bowl. I will buy a jersey the minute they trade you to a contender. You've been the greatest lion. Thank you for everything, man. Class act. The city was lucky to have you. God bless you. We're pulling for you, man. That being said, let's get the show on the road for Wild Card Weekend. First game up on Saturday, Colts versus Bills. Bills are laying six and a half. What do you got, Anthony Finelli? All right, wild card weekend is upon us. And I think this is the best year for the AFC like ever, like top to bottom, right? No one worse than an 11 and five record. NFC's got an eight and eight in there, not even counting the NFC East winners. So that's kind of nuts. Anyways, I'm Anthony Finelli. I'm going to break down who I think is going to win each game. Uh, disclaimer, I am not great at picking these. So grain of salt, huge, a couple grains of salt. All right, we got Colts at Bills. Got a seven versus the two. Colts fed a pretty good season so far. Philly Rivs old and it's starting to show. Josh Allen's young and he's just hitting his stride. I'm going to go with the Bills. Don't know the final score, but I'm going to say they win by 10. All right, Andy St. Clair, you're the resident Vegas odds guy. Who you got in this one? First game up, Mike. Look, the spread is a six and a half. I'm going to also give you who to bet on in this game. Give me the points. Bill's Mafia is going to be at the game. I, I just think it's too much Josh Allen, too much digs, too much passing. And honestly, I, I got to tell you, I don't think I'll ever believe that Philip Rivers is going to win another playoff game, especially on the road in Buffalo. No way. Give me the Bills minus six and a half. Also, give me the under. Well, I don't know about the under, but I'll tell you this. The Colts got a great offensive line. They can run the ball. Taylor's been great as of late, pounding up the yards, but I just don't think Rivers has it in the tank. The Bills are first in the NFL at converting third downs at 50%. All of Buffalo thinks Allen's the MVP, and I'm ready to give him that State Farm Rodgers rate, buddy. But I agree with you. Too much digs. Too much Beasley. Bills Mafia whacks the Colts and leaves a horse head in the bed of the Tennessee Titans for next week. The Colts will get a touchdown late, but it's a junk score. Give me Bills 31, Colts 24. Next up is the Rams at the Seahawks. The Seahawks are laying four, and they got the 12th man up there. What do you think about this one, Andy? Interesting about this game uh, for me is uh, no golf. And, uh, I mean, I don't think golf's going to play. Maybe it does. Right now, there's no sign he's going to play. But I got to say, that doesn't matter to me in this game for the Rams. Um, the quarterback, Wolford, I think is his name. To me, it's really, it's McVay. 
that's that's who you you if you like the Rams you you think McVay is a better coach than Carroll. I'm not going to do that. I got to tell you, I am going to take the Seattle Seahawks to beat the Los Angeles Rams. I just think they're better. Playing a different style of football since about for the last seven, eight weeks or so. Got a little more slow it down a defensive playoff, I would almost call it, football. Um, Gambling-wise here, Mike, I think you're going to want to take Seattle right now, negative three, minus three. Over-under is 42, and this may surprise you. Uh, once again, I'm going to take the under. I'm going to take the under in this game. Um, here's a little something about next week's game. After Seattle wins and then probably New Orleans wins on Sunday. Take the Seahawks in New Orleans next week, 100%. I just love that for Seattle. I think Seattle uh, has a good shot at uh, getting to the Super Bowl. Everybody's kind of forgotten about them. Just know I will be riding the Seahawks for a while. So give me Seattle uh, to win this game on Saturday. Give me the three points. Give me the under. I like the under in this one as well, Andy. And I tell you what, I don't care about golf either. But Mr. Finelli, who do you got in this one? Pretty bad luck for the Rams, even though the Seahawks aren't really playing inspired ball right now. Seahawks by a score, a touchdown, and an extra point. Seahawks. Seahawks, Seahawks. Well, like I said, I don't care about Jared Goff being out of the game either, Andy. Because as you pointed out, it's all Sean McVay on that offense. I'm going to tell you this. Seattle's got Wilson. That always gives you a chance. This guy's a perennial candidate for MVP. But you know what? He gets sacked a lot. And that secondary for the Seattle Seahawks is struggling. The Rams number one defense in the league led by Aaron Donald they're going to bring all the pressure in the world they're going to sack Seattle the secondary for the Rams shutting down DK last time they played they'll do it again I'm going against the grain on this one Ramalama sing a song of victory and a 12th man will weep it's not always about offense boys the Rams get two takeaways and they'll hold on at the end of the game Rams 16 Seahawks 13 now let's get to the Saturday nightcap Bucks, Washington. The Bucks are eight-point favorites. Let's start with Anthony this time. What do you think? Tampa Bay and Washington. Yeah, Chase Young can talk all he wants about Tom Brady. Uh, even though the Bucks are on the road, I got them winning by a couple scores. I'm going to go Tampa Bay by two scores, somewhere in the 10 to 14 range. That's shortened to the point, and I got to agree, Andy. I bet you think the same thing, yeah? I got to tell you, this is, here's the thing, Mike, is that a lot of people, it seems like an easy weekend, right, of just taking the favorites. Bills, Seahawks, Bucks, Ravens, Saints, Steelers. There's going to be a mess up in there. One of the six games is going to be a mess up game, and I predict it's this game. I'm going to predict, I'm going to go for the upset. First off, let me say, bet on the Redskins at plus eight. Also, the over under is 44 and a half. It's not going to make any sense, but take the over. Uh, there's a small fun theory about Tom Brady playing night games that he, this year, it's past his bedtime. He played five five uh, night games on Sunday night, Thursday night, Sunday night, or Monday night. And the Bucks went one and four and covering the spread. And I think they only, they went two and three and just winning the game. Let me remind you of those games quickly. And that's the Raiders. They, the Bucks blew them out. That's the one they covered and won. The Giants, they won in New York, but they they did not cover. And then they got blown out by the Saints. They lost to the Bears on Thursday night. They lost to the Rams at home. So there's your five primetime games. It's late night. It's past Brady's bedtime. He doesn't want to play at this time of the day. No thank you, uh, Tampa Bay. The other thing for me in this game is that the one thing the Washington football team does really well is get after the quarterback. Makes Brady real jittery, that front four. That's going to be hard on uh, Brady and also Mike Evans' injury. So 
all all those adds up to just give me the Washington football team, give me the plus eight, and give me the over. Oh, I'm going to have to disagree with you on that one, buddy. I think you're drinking the Kool-Aid, man. I think the media is pushing this thing real hard because it's the night game and they need people to tune in. I'll give the Washington football team this. Alex Smith is a comeback player of the year, no doubt about it. It's a great story. They win the division. They get to the playoffs. Chase Young wants Brady, but it's all overblown by the networks to try to get people to tune into this thing, man. And it doesn't matter that Mike Evans is out of the game to me because Brady and Brown are heating up. He's had like 400 yards in the last two games. Look, I get it. Brady doesn't like to be pressured, and that Washington football team's front line is dangerous. They can bring pressure quicker than the Canadian coal front, but I'm going to tell you this. They could sack Tom Brady 10 times, and it's just not going to matter because that Bucks defense is going to do exactly the same thing to Alex Smith, and he's only on one leg, brother. You got Ndamukong Sue, you got Pierre Paul, you got Levante David. That defense is going to bring it. Washington can't score. Bucks go nuts in this one because they're itching for another shot at New Orleans. Bucks 31, Washington 10. <laughs> Rolling right into early Sunday morning, and on the West Coast, that means football, eggs, and beer. Ravens, Titans. Titans are a three-point dog at home. You buying that, Anthony? Ravens and Titans, my gut tells me that the Ravens are going to win because they're coming in hot, but I think the trend of Lamar Jackson not playing too well in the playoffs is going to continue. Titans kind of had his number last year in the playoffs as well, and they're at home, and they have Jim Brown 2.0. I'm going Titans by a close three points. Well, they already beat him earlier this year. Andy, what do you think about this one? Is Lamar primed to get out of that slump? I like to call this game the main event. Ravens, three-point favorite at the Tennessee Titans. Look, I I don't know. I mean, you can target me into both teams on this one, but I'm going to take the home dog again. I'm going to take the Titans. Uh, Here's the thing. The the main difference for me is, let's say the Ravens get up 10-0, to 14-0. I tell you, I'm not too worried about the Titans. I think their offense can get them back in the game. Now, on the other side, let's say the Titans get up 14-0 on the Ravens. Sure, the Ravens could get back in the game, but then that's going to be a healthy dose from the Titans of Derrick Henry. And I just don't think the Ravens can deal with that. And also, the last two times they've played, which has happened in the 2019 playoffs, the Ravens uh, lost that game to the Titans in the playoffs 28-12. And in Week 11 this year, the Titans beat the Ravens 30-24. I don't know. Just give me the Titans. Give me give me the points. Give me, by the way, uh, the over of that game. It's like 54 and a half. Uh, I think I'll take the over. I think it's going to be a lot of points. So I, I'm going to take the Titans. I'm taking a home dog. I got to tell you, I'm stuck on that point too, man. Division champs, dogs at home. I mean, the Titans are home dogs the way they control the ball. <laughs> That's disrespect. Like, like branding a horse, man. You just might get kicked in the face. But this game is going to be all about ball control. Who controls the trenches and holds the ball? Ravens, Lamar, Lamar, Lamar. And I'll tell you what, Dobbins is coming on as of late. And with the Titans, we know it's Henry, 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 2,000 yards. I'll agree with you in taking the over because there's going to be a ton of points scored in this game as neither team is good against the run on defense. Lamar Jackson is electric, but chasing points isn't his strongest trait. The Titans will hold the ball longer. It's a Music City magic just one more time as the surprise of the day is Tannehill with two, count them, two touchdown passes. Give me the Titans 27, Ravens 26 in a barn burner. And now for the Sunday afternoon game, which comes right on time for you to take a rest, get some food, and just chill out because this one, you won't need to watch very long. Bears at the Saints. Saints are 10-point favorites. I gotta think you agree with me. Anthony Finelli. 
Bears at Saints, laughable. It doesn't matter who they have at quarterback. I think Jameis Winston could even win this game if they went that route. They just have too many weapons, and the Bears are lower than one-dimensional on their offense at this point. You think it's going to be a blowout? I have to say I probably agree. Andy St. Clair, I don't expect to hear anything different here. What do you think? The Chicago Bears versus the New Orleans Saints. Over-unders 47. Look, to win this game, I think it's going to be the Saints. All right? I just think the Saints are better. Uh, that that seems to be what's going to happen. Uh, but if I was betting this game, I think I would bet on the Bears. I mean, I just, sure, 10 is a lot of points, especially in a playoff game. And no doubt it's going to be like, it's going to be 24 to 3 and Trubisky's going to throw an interception. And I'm going to be like, why did anybody bet on the Bears? including myself. But the defense isn't bad. The Bears' defense isn't bad. And if you told me the Bears could shock the Saints, I I would believe it, all right? So uh, also, also, uh, this is what the Saints do. They lose in the playoffs. They lose, they lose, they lose in the playoffs. Even when they're favored, whether it happens this week against the Bears or next week against the Seahawks, I just do not think the Saints are going to make it to the NFC Finals. I don't think they're going to be there. So it's going to happen one of the next two weeks. Probably not this week, though. But I, I, I'll take the Saints. But gambling-wise, I'll take the Bears and the over. Give me the over in this game. It's at like 47. Just pound the over. Look, I know you lived in Chicago for a long time, buddy, so I'm not going to rag on you for letting your heart lead the way on what you had to say right there because Anthony and I are probably going to do the same thing with the Browns coming up. Anyway, I'll say you're right about the over because the Saints are going to score, but you could give the Bears 20 if you want. It ain't going to matter. This is going to boil down to a battle of the red zones. The Bears had the fifth best red zone defense and the Saints had the fifth best red zone offense, but the difference will be that Breeze goes out and Hill comes in. It's king of the hill in the red zone when you also got to account for a COVID-free Kamara, and you're probably going to be without Roquan Smith. Looks like he may not even play, and even if he does, he's going to be a shell of himself. And let's not forget that the Saints go marching on defense. They're top 10 in every category and top four in several, including stopping rushers, meaning Trubisky turns it over when he's forced to carry the load. The Big Easy tells Chicago, Mitch, please. Who that? Saints 38, mediocre midway, 10. And now for the final game of the weekend, the game that I'm most invested in, the game that I know Anthony Finelli is also most invested in, the game we've been waiting 18 years for. The Browns are finally in the playoffs after beating the Steelers last week. They'll face him again. Browns at Steelers. Steelers laying six. So let's first hear from the voice of reason, Andy St. Clair. Browns at Steelers. Look, I'm taking the Steelers. I'm taking the Steelers. I'm betting on the Steelers. I'm taking the Steelers. The Steelers beat them this year, thirty-eight to seven, I think, in like week five. And sure, it's a different time. You know, Steelers were healthier. Also, the Steelers in week seventeen, we saw them just lose twenty-four twenty-two to the Browns when the Browns had everything to play for and the Steelers had nothing to play for. So that I just think the Steelers are a better team. Also, the Browns are not going to be without their coaching, and coaching does matter. Okay, I, I don't. That Stefanski is a really great coach, but he's they're going to need Stefanski, and he's not going to be there. So all of that is I'm going to take Tomlin. I'm going to take the points. I'm taking the Steelers. I think it's going to be a big day for uh, Roethlisberger. I think they're going to pass all over him, and I think it's going to be a tough day for Baker. So give me the Steelers. I could hear it in your own voice that you thought that was harsh, but realistic. Probably realistic. But anyway, let's have some fun. Anthony Finelli. All right, last pick. The Browns, the Steelers, I'm completely just going to pick as a fan. I'm a Cleveland Browns homer. They're out with their all pro, their Pro Bowl guard. They're out with their head coach, who also calls all the offensive plays. I think that's not being spoken about enough in the media, which is a big deal. 
but I'm a huge fan. I really hope the Browns win, which would set up a Kansas City Chiefs upset in the second round. I'm going Browns. Don't care by how many, but praying, fingers crossed, Browns win that game. I got to tell you, buddy, I was expecting you to say like Browns by 100 or something, man. But I hear you. It feels like it's going to take a miracle for the Brownies to beat the Steelers. And I got to tell you. It only makes sense if COVID was going to totally screw somebody up for the playoffs, it'd have to be the Browns, but only because the Lions aren't in the playoffs. Look, I'm keeping hope alive here, and I honestly do think the Browns have a chance to win this game. Look, they realize that the Steelers are sacking people more than COVID in 2020. They lead the league in quarterback pressures and sacks, so the Browns are going to look to pound the rock, which is one thing that they can do well. They've got the number one offensive line in the league when it comes to rushing. Chubb only had 12 games and went over 1,000 yards. He's at five yards a carry. Hunt was only 100 yards shy of going for 1,000 yards of his own. They're the best tandem in the league, but without head coach Stefanski, can they stay the course with the play calling? The Steelers' D, number two in the league, and it's nasty. We already said that. It's nasty. And Steeler fans are asking, what are you going to do when TJ runs wild on you, brother? But that being said, Ben is long in the tooth. He's been good this year, but he's not Big Ben good. Now, he's a Hall of Famer, but I bet he wishes he got on that TB12 avocado toast years ago because he's been in the NFL 11 for a bit too long and he's overcooked. The Steelers are on the clock. Tick-tock, tick-tock, Juju. Look, the Browns are the epitome of what we love about sports this year. The COVID, losing Stefanski, and several other players for this game bonds this team with the perseverance and a chip on their shoulder. It's going to be fun to watch because Baker's going to bake. Miles Garrett serves Big Ben up on a plate and Chubb puts it away late. This is how 30 for 30s are made, my friends. Brownies 24, Steelers 23. Bring on the Chiefs, baby. Anthony, I know you got to get going. We got to let you go. I just want to give you a big thanks for doing the show this week, and we'll see you next time. All right, guys. Have a great wild card weekend. Andy St. Clair, big thanks for doing the show, man. Hope you enjoy the Sporgia games on Saturday and Sunday and that national championship game on Monday, which I will give you guys my pick for as soon as we let Andy go here. Should be a good one. Looking forward to Super Wild Card Weekend. I hope uh, from now on we always have seven playoff teams. All right, man. We'll see you next time. Now for a final order of business, the national championship game, the Alabama Crimson Tide versus the Ohio State University Buckeyes. Bama's laying eight. They're the big time favorite, especially after they finally won the SEC championship outright. And it's not only that. They lay claim to the Heisman Trophy winner, but also the runner up and the guy who finished fourth. Now that's a ridiculous embarrassment of offensive treasures. Oh, and the defense isn't exactly playing second fiddle, although they have given up more points than any other usual Nick Saban team does. On the other side, it's the Buckeyes defense that's been leading the way for OSU, carrying them while Justin Fields and the offense have been a roller coaster of finding themselves. But oh, have they found themselves. Holly Ali oxen free. They cut loose on Clemson after Dabo Sweeney couldn't keep his whiny mouth shut. And the appearance of Trey Sermon on the scene is better late than never setting the school record with 331 yards in the b1g championship game which by the way is also an fbs conference championship game record now here comes the complaining that the buckeyes don't belong because they only played seven games beforehand to that i say shut up and stop whining it was no advantage to have your team riddled with a pandemic virus to the extent that only some residents of a new york nursing home could understand not to mention the blasting of clemson the same people who are always crying that they don't care what's fair 
The best team should be in the playoffs, regardless of wins and losses in years past, are now crying unfair. I'll tell you what's unfair. The love affair with Notre Dame every damn year, as they refuse to join a conference so they don't have to play any difficult games late in the year, and we push them into the playoffs only to get blasted every single time, but whatever. We're talking Bama and the Buckeyes here. And the last time they met in the playoffs, the tie were eight-point favorites, despite two losses, and the Buckeyes hung 42 points on him in that win. Saban remembers, and he's taking nothing for granted this time, because guess what the line is again? Unlucky eight. It's going to be a battle of ball control, and as stupid as you may think this sounds, Alabama's ability to strike quick can actually bite you in the ass in a shootout, and they are going to do just that. Bama scores too quick late in the fourth quarter, opening the door for Justin Fields to take the Buckeyes home. Against all odds, just like before, rubbing on a lucky horseshoe, it's the B1G champs over the SEC and an instant classic. Buckeyes 38, Bama 37. Take that to the bank. We'd love for you guys to tweet us your scores, your picks. Tweet us your exact score predictions. That's at DWMODpod. We got some new swag coming. Anybody nails a game, we'll send you some out. I'm Mikey Wilson. This has been the DWMODpod, and thanks for listening again. We'll see you next time.